0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, welcome to our Easter series called The Last Words of Jesus from the Cross. There were seven statements that Jesus made while he hung on the cross. We began last week with, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we talked about forgiveness. If you didn't hear that message, go to you can go to YouTube and just pull it, Our Savior's Church, and then you can pull it up and you'll hear the message. My wife loves me and she's heard me preach a lot. And when we got home last week, she said, that's the best message I've ever heard you preach. Now, she could just be enthralled with me since I'm trying to get in the best shape I've ever been in before I turn 65 in June. But I have a strong feeling that it was just a good message. So today we want to use our foundational passages found in Luke chapter 23. The guards led Jesus away, two criminals with Jesus to execute all three of them at the same time. And when they came to the place known as the skull, the reason it was called the skull is because when people went there, they died. The only thing that remained afterwards was a skull or bones. And there the guards crucified Jesus, nailing him to the center cross between two, Criminals, okay? I, I don't stutter, and I don't have dyslexia, so I'm doing that so we're staying on the same page. While they were nailing Jesus to the cross, he prayed over and over, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. The soldier, after they crucified him, gambled his clothing, and a great crowd gathered to watch what was happening. The religious leaders sneered at Jesus and saying look at this man. What kind of a Messiah is this? He pretended to save others, and he can't even. The soldiers joined in the mockery, offering Jesus a drink of vinegar called the gall of bitterness. I'll talk to you in, that, that, that in just a moment. Jesus over, over Jesus' head on the cross was written in inscription in the Greek, Latin, and Aramaic language, this is the king of the reason they did that is crucifixion was so terrible, the Romans knew that they had to put a reason of why someone was suffering such horrific death. And the only thing they could accuse Jesus of because he was innocent is that he said he was the king of the Jews. All the soldiers and scoffed him saying, hey, if you're the king of the Jews, why don't you one of the criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus kept ridiculing him, saying, what kind of Messiah are you? Save yourself and save us from death. The criminal hanging on the other cross rebuked him, saying, don't you fear God? You're about to die. We deserve to be condemned. We're just being repaid for what we've done. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And then he said, Looking at Jesus, I beg you, Jesus, show me and take me with you into your. And now let's read what Jesus said. And Jesus responded saying, I promise you this very day you will be with me. in." how many of you appreciate the promises of Jesus beaten by the Roman soldiers, betrayed by his disciples and belittled by the religious leaders? Badgered even by a thief, a criminal on the cross, our Savior suffered alone. The perfect Lamb of God was suspended between heaven and earth on Calvary's hill, paying for all sin, for all mankind, past sin, present sin, and all future sin. The Roman soldiers asked him two questions clearly and implied the third one. Here with those questions, look at this man. What kind of a Messiah is this? The second one, he saved others. Why can't he save himself? And the third one was implied, why won't he drink the gall of bitterness? Mark gives us another perspective of what happened before Jesus was crucified. Mark fifteen twenty three. There they offered him a mild painkiller, a drink of wine mixed with gall. They would give that to people before they were to go through this horrific crucifixion to dull the pain but he what he refused to drink it so let's look at both of these three questions and answer them question number one look at this man what kind of a messiah is this well why why didn't the jews understand that jesus was the messiah didn't he do miracles did he raise the dead did he walk on water Did he calm storms? Did he feed 5,000 with just a little boy's lunch? Was his teaching like they'd never heard before? Then why didn't they see him as the Messiah? Just a few months ago, Michelle and I walked in Israel on the very streets that Jesus walked on and his disciples taught on. We were in the Sea of Galilee just watching. And it's very similar to it was that day when Jesus was there 2,000 years ago. And one of the things that you realize is the proximity of places. We went to the Wailing Wall. The Wailing Wall is at the bottom of the Temple of David. And we watched. Matter of fact, I showed you some of the video clips that I had from there because they have these Jews and these Jewish students from the Shiva school. That's they're training them to be rabbis. And they have their hands on the wall like this. And someone is behind them. Like reading from the Old Testament, and when they read, the other ones, the other students go, "Amen," and they're just going, "Ah," ah, ah," and they're wailing because they want the Messiah to come. They're waiting still for the Messiah to come. That means that during the time of Jesus, they were doing the exact same thing. But you know what's interesting? Not far away. And Michelle and I walked down that road is a road called the Via de la Rosa. And that was the road that Jesus walked on to be crucified. But a few days before, he went down a road and he was riding on a donkey, and they had palm branches, and they waved them and they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Not far from there, they're at the wall praying for the Messiah. And the Messiah is riding on a donkey in close proximity to where they are. How how did they not know that this was God's Messiah? Can I tell you why? This is a great question. One of the most profound questions that could ever be asked. Because they expected the Messiah to come with an army. Not with a few fishermen. They expected the Messiah to come in power. Not to come as a suffering servant. They expected him to come born in a mansion, not in a manger. So I want to answer that question what kind of Messiah is this? Number one, he was the God who became a man. He was God who became a man. Let me make it a little clear He was God who became a baby. A baby. What can a baby do for itself? Answer. And on the other part, what does God need from us? Nothing. What can we give him that he doesn't have? Nothing. God became a baby, utterly helpless, so that he could understand and identify with you and me. He who needs nothing put himself in a position where he could do nothing for himself. God didn't just become a man. God became a baby in Christ. God became a servant. A servant. I I don't know what Mary thought as she watched this baby and rocked him thinking... I am a peasant, 14-year-old girl, uneducated, holding in my arms God in the flesh. What kind of Messiah is he? He's the Messiah that would rather die than live without you. So he did. Someone said, how much does Jesus love you? This much. So he died. C.S. Lewis, the atheist, who was converted literature professor at Oxford University, said this, Christianity is the only story where the hero dies for the villain. We were the villains. The thief on the cross was the villain, and he was the hero. Here's the second thing they said. He saved others. Why can't he? Could Jesus have saved himself? Could this one who raised Lazarus from the dead saved himself? Of course he could have. He could have saved himself. But real strength is not using your power to resist pain and suffering. Real strength is using your power and courage to obey God even when it hurts. Let me give you a real revelation. Could he have saved himself? But if he did, he wouldn't have saved you and me. So it was either him save himself or him save you and me. And so he did. Real strength is loving others till it hurts to help them. Ask any parent. John 15, 13 says, for the greatest love of all is the love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life, what? What kind of savior was he? A suffering savior. A dying savior. Could he have saved himself? Of course he could have saved himself. But instead he chose to save you and me. Here's the third thing. Not asked but implied. Why won't he drink of the gall of bitterness? Mark gives us some insight in Mark 15. He says, then they offered him a mild painkiller a drink of wine mixed with gall, but he, for those of you who've seen the movie, they offer him twice, once before the crucifixion begins, the second time when he's on the cross and he said, I'm thirsty, and they take a stick and a sponge and they dip it in this gall of bitterness, this sedative, and they put it up to his lips. Do you remember what he does? He spits it out. (laughs) He spits it out. Why? Why? Because when we're in pain, drinking in pain of bitterness seems to soothe us for the moment and to dull our pain. But all we're doing is drinking death to ourselves and to those we love. Someone said when you won't forgive, you're drinking poison and waiting for the person you're mad at to die. That's what happens when you drink in bitterness. When you spit it out, you know what you do? You allow God the Father to become your true defender. Can I share something with you that you need to know? I don't know what kind of dad or mom that you had, or I don't even know if you were ever protected. Many people weren't. That's why there's so much abuse and abandonment. But can I tell you this? You have a heavenly Father that loves you. And when you forgive and you trust him, and instead of swallowing bitterness... Because for the moment, it seems like you're just alienating yourself from that person. You're wrong. Because the source of forgiveness is not you. The source of forgiveness is So the moment you stop forgiving, you don't cut yourself off from that person alone. You cut yourself off from the source of forgiveness himself, God. And I want to stop a moment. Some of you have been swallowing bitterness because of what's happened to you. Spit it out. Spit it out. Don't swallow it. A lady grabbed me in between services and she said, Pastor, when you stop and you said the Holy Spirit is speaking to people, (laughs) she said, when you did that, something, literally, she said, I felt something come out of me. Whose bitterness have you been swallowing? Whose bitterness have you allowed like a pacifier to suck on? It never satisfies the thirst, but it's always there reminding you of what happened. Listen carefully to me. Our Father in Heaven is very good at being a good Father. You just trust Him and be a good child. And then... The passage that I will speak on today, Luke 23, 42, 43. And then he said, the criminal on the cross, I beg you, Jesus, show me, take me into your everlasting kingdom. And Jesus responded, I, this very day, you will enter paradise with me. So is it possible for you to live your life in a way that is detrimental to you and others that love you, that hurts God and the people that depend upon you. And for you at the end of your life to ask God for mercy and grace and to turn to Him and for you to go to heaven? I was doing a Bible study once on this, and there was a businessman well known in our community. He looked up at me and goes, Pastor, that that's not possible. So what do you mean? He said, you expect that somebody like that is going to go to the same place as me who tries to come to Bible study and church and give and do all the good things I'm going to do and he's going to get in and he don't do nothing? Many of us come from a background that that challenges everything inside of us. So how does salvation, forgiveness, being spiritually born again come to each of us, to every one of us that are here? Number one, it comes by grace. We are saved by, we are saved by Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by, you have been saved by nothing you could ever earn this salvation. For it was a love gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will be able to boast for salvation is not a for good works or human striving. Grace, I love that acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Listen carefully to me. Jesus didn't only die just for your sin. He didn't just die for you. He died in place of you. It's substitution. He died in place of you. The death that you and I deserved, he died himself. And so we receive God's riches at? We receive God's riches at? We receive, say it with me, God's riches at Christ's expense. Not by reading my Bible. Not by going to church. Not by being good. Not by helping others. Not by being nice. I am saved By grace. Say it with me. I am saved by. I am saved by. I am saved by grace. What else do we learn from God's word about salvation? In this passage we learn salvation is a gift. Not an award or a reward. Now I'm going to date myself. But old people are about to love me. How many of you remember when you would go to different stores and purchase things, and they would give you stamps. Come on. How many remember that? Raise your hand. Thank you, old people. I love you. Don't mock us. We're the ones paying for the church. Okay. So, so what, what would happen is you would go to a store, and if you went and however much you bought, they would give you that many stamps. And you would get these books, and you would fill these books with stamps. And then when you got so many books, how many ever did this before? Come on. How many ever did this? And what was the name of the stamps? S S and H. Okay. And so you would take these stamps and these books to redemption centers. They would give you a catalog of everything. You'd say, pastor, how do you know this so well? Well, I was about nine or 10 years old and my sister's oldest, well, her, her first husband, he was then her boyfriend was working at a gas station where they gave stamps and we stole all the stamps. Now, let me just say two things. Number one, I'm 64 years old. I'm beyond the statute of limitations. That happened when I was 10 years old. Number two, I was a Mexican in Houston and anybody in Texas, they could cross the border and do anything illegally. So count me with all those folks. Number three, this is a mass confession. So I'm sure y'all are forgiving me. Thank you for the baby that was screaming. I appreciate that very much. And what you would do is you would earn these these rewards. Do you know what the truth is? Some of us think salvation is that way. How much did I read my Bible? Have you been to church how many times this week? Okay, who did you talk about Jesus? Okay, how many prayers did you pray? Okay, and, and it is actually reinforced by a lot of religions. Oh, you did this many sins? Go pray this many prayers. There's this constant exchange that's going on. And listen, it happens to religions all over the world. C.S. Lewis walked into a meeting where they're debating different religions of the world. The Muslim had spoke. The atheist had spoke. The, all of these different religions had spoke. And he walked in late because he was usually late. And they said, uh, Mr. Lewis, you're late as usual, but, but we've, everyone's already answered the question. What is the difference between your religion and every other religion in the world? He said, oh, that's easy. Grace. It's grace. Salvation is not a gift. Or is a gift. It's not an award or a reward. Listen to Romans 5, 16. And this free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than it was given to us through the one who sinned. That's Adam. For because of one man's transgressions we're all facing a and a verdict of but this gracious gift leaves us free from our free from our divorce, free from our immorality free from our addictions, free from our past, free from the things I used to be known as. Free! from our failures and brings us into the the what? Perfect righteousness of God acquitted with the words not guilty. Death once held us in its grip by the blunder of one man's death reigned king over humanity but now how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of There it is again, perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. In other words, just as condemnation came through one man's transgression, Adam, so through one man's righteous act, Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness that makes us and leads us to a, is now available to all. I want to make it plain for you in simple things so you can never forget it. Okay, I want you to memorize this. Here it comes. Number one, I am saved by grace alone. through alone. in alone. revealed in His, word. for the glory of... God. I am saved by grace alone. through faith alone, in Christ alone, revealed in His word alone, for the glory of God alone. For the glory of God alone. How would I live differently if I really believed salvation was a gift? Do you know what happens when you think you can earn it? Look right here. Then, when you think when you do something wrong, you lose it. If you think that you can earn it, do you think that you can actually lose it? Here's number three. The moment you're born again, God sees you as righteous as he sees Jesus. Yes. Even children scream when they hear that. Now, I don't know know if you've ever had these conversations. How many have been married a while? Raise your hand. Okay. These are conversations you should have maybe after you've been married a while. If you've been married four or five years and you have this conversation, call the police. And a pastor, but how many of you have ever had this conversation? Baby, if something ever happens to you, I would. Never Y'all aren't helping me. <laughs> come, come on, Jimmy. You've had this conversation, okay? Hey, honey, if something ever happened to you, I would. What? How many say I would never remarry? Come on, raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> I love to see liars first. They can say all that while you're living. <laughs> okay. How many of you have said, if something ever happens to you, I would remarry. Raise your hand. Okay. I've said that. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate that. I, 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 and Michelle will go, baby, well, why do you say that? And I said, because marriage to you is so wonderful. Well, I I love being married. Let me say that again. How many love being married? You you meet people that go, well, let me tell you something. If He dies, I ain't ever remarried again. (laughs) Do, Do you know why? Because you don't enjoy being married. You don't have a good marriage. I mean, I... I love being married. We have a phenomenal marriage to the glory of God and Michelle because I sure didn't get it from my legacy of daddy Been married five times and three generations of immoral fathers and grandfathers. I, I, I've never received it. She had that. I didn't. But suppose she would have said to me, baby, I love you so much no matter what you did, I would always stay with you. Now, believe me, she's never said that. It, 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 you know, it's been like, if you ever cheated on me, let me tell you what I'd do. I'd, People would go, listen, if I ever cheated on her, I wouldn't want to stay there because of all the stuff she told me she would do to me in case she ever did. I'd be like, I wouldn't sleep at night. I'd be locked up in a closet, like with a gun and a flag jacket and, I'd be scared. But look at me. Suppose she said to me, if you ever cheated on me, I love you so much, I would always take you back. Look right here. Would that make me love her less or love her more? Jesus forgave you knowing you were going to sin. And I say this all the time. She's here. It's still true. Those of you who are here when she's not here know. The first year and a half, two years I was married, I would literally wake up at night and stare at Michelle and go, how did I pull this off? <laughs> like, and <laughs> you don't laugh. Everywhere I went, people would ask me that. <laughs> no, I'm not lying. 75% of the times when we'd go someplace, new people go, how did you get her? I think that so many of us have been so bound by religion. And so bound by hindrances of our past. God will forgive every sin you'll ever commit. He's already paid for past, present, and future. But if you love him, you don't want to commit sins. You want to be close to him, not far from him. I am telling you right now, there is a religious spirit that will jump on you and beat you up every time you don't pray enough, read your Bible enough, go to church enough, and it will keep you and make you think that it's keeping you close to God, but it's not. It's just keeping you guilty and afraid and condemned. Your father loves you with a never-ending love. He will forgive you. He's for you, and he's for you so much. All you want to do is please him. I think probably the most overwhelming scripture in the Bible to me is the scripture I'm about to read to you right now. It's overwhelming to me. Here's what it says. For God made the only who did not know sin to, to what? Jesus couldn't sin on his own. So in order for God to deal with sin, he had to make him to be sin. Just like you and me couldn't be righteous on our own, he had to make us righteous. He had to make him to be sin. So that we might, the what? Through our union with him. You know what's sad? It you know was sad? How many of you feel comfortable just going, well, I'm just a sinner, saved by grace? Come on. How many have ever said that? You know God will kill you if you lie in church. How many have ever said, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? Raise your hand. Okay. Do you know what that magnifies? Who you were. You know what it doesn't magnify? Christ died for. What he died for. He made him who had never known sin to be sin. So you might become the righteousness, the right standing. Let me translate that. God's favorite child. You know, we we have a large family. How many came from a large family? How many of you, there was one child that could ask for just about anything and your parents said yes, raise your hand. Okay, in my family, that was Joseph. Joseph. So when the boys wanted us to do something, Jacob Jr., they did go like, tell Joseph to ask. They never tell him no. <laughs> tell, tell Joseph. That would be Christmas would come, and I don't think we realized it, but looking back on it, you know, Jacob Jr. would get a, a guitar. You know, Christian would get a hockey something. Okay, Wesley would get something, soccer and some clothes. Had would get kid stuff, whatever that is. Okay. Amberly would get what we didn't spend on the rest of them. It was just kind of all the boy stuff, you know, just okay. And Joseph would get like a bass, like an amp, clothes. Isn't that truly? <laughs> and all the other boys are sitting there going. Amberly's going, what's your prayer, Amberly? I just want to be Joseph for one Christmas. <laughs> What if you were actually God's favorite child? And whatever you asked from him, he gave it to you. Look at me. What if for one day you didn't hold him in question, but instead you held him closely knowing all you had to do was ask and your father who loves you Wanted to reveal himself to you and love you and love you. How would you live differently? Today, as we close, I want us to make some confessions. When Joseph was born, guess what he had to do to inherit everything that his mama and I have? Nothing. Cry. <laughs> when, when we adopted Amberly Grace at four and a half, guess what she had to do to inherit everything we have? And guess what you have to do to inherit everything that your heavenly Father has for you in Christ? Nothing but just receive it. receive. Just receive it. So I want you to say this with me. We're going to go through a series of confessions and we're going to close. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. When God sees me, he sees Jesus. When God sees me, he sees Jesus. Jesus. As Jesus is now, so am I in this world. As Jesus is now, so am I in this world. Now say this with me. Come on, y'all are all going to get the spirit of Joseph on you. I am God's favorite child. I am God's favorite child. God is crazy about me. I can ask him for anything. And he'll give it to me. That was weak. Do you know Jesus actually said that? Ask anything of my name and the Father, and it will be given to you. You say, well, how about if I ask for a Lamborghini? Okay. If you love God, you won't ask for stupid stuff. (laughs) Okay. Every now and then, to get where you want to go, God will do to you what I do with those little children. Give me a candy. See, some of y'all see God gives somebody some candy, and you go walk around going, "They got candy, why can't I?" Because God expected you to grow up. He gave you candy a long time ago. Grow up and get on with what you're supposed to be. The moment Joseph was born, the moment Amberly came into our family, that moment they inherited everything we are not doing. I am God's favorite child. Come on. Jesus was the first to say, I am the son of God, but he shouldn't be the last one. He shouldn't be the last one. Just the first one. On the cross, there were two thieves. One rejected him and jeered him and the other received him and joined him in paradise. Alistair Beggs, the greatest Scottish preacher, tells the story of what happened the day that thief on the cross got to heaven. He got there and there was a long line of people walking in to the pearly gates. Peter was greeting them there and the first person that came was Mother Teresa. And he said, yes, could I, could I see your name? She said, well, my name's Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, we've heard about you. We have a book of all the good things that you've done, the poor that you've helped, the babies that you've rescued, the lepers that you've ministered to. We even have a book of the day that you looked at, at Bill Clinton and said, quit aborting babies. If you don't want them, give them to me. I'll take them. And he shook in his boots. He did exactly what happened. We have that all in the book. Come on in. Peter said, put her at the front table. They ushered her back. Next person who came in, what's your name? Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Billy Graham, come on. Billy Graham. Billy Graham, you preach to more people than any other man in all of history in person, and you preach to billions on on TV. Come on in. Put him up next to Mother Teresa. Next guy comes walking in. Who are you? What's your name? I probably don't have my name anywhere, but I'm the criminal from the cross. Are you a member of a church? Have you ever been baptized? Have you ever gone to Next Steps? Are you part of a small group? Have you ever been to a freedom course? Have you ever counseled with Devin? Devin? do you watch online? Okay, were you raised in church? Okay, did you do good to other people? Why should I let you into heaven? And he said, because the man on the middle cross said I could come. Because the man on the middle cross said I could come. We are saved by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. Revealed in his word alone for the glory of God. Alone. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father. Your love for us is so overwhelming. It's so overwhelming. Our, our mind can't comprehend and our, our hearts can't conceive, just receive the love that forgives us, knowing we're going to disappoint you again. The love that never leaves us, even the times we've made decisions to try to leave you. It, It's a different kind of love than this world offers. Everything in this world is finite. That kind of love is infinite. That's what kind of Messiah you are. Today, we spit out the bitterness. Today, we spit out the good works that we think we've done. Today, we receive this amazing gift salvation and righteousness and right standings of being seen as you are, Jesus. We receive that. We receive that. That's what you died for. You didn't die for anything less than that. Anything less than that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus. I always have. But I've never received that. I've always tried to work for it. I've always tried to earn it. I've always tried to make myself good enough. I want to surrender to Jesus. That's called being born again. Jesus looked at a religious man named Nicodemus who had done all of these works all of his life to become a great religious teacher. And Jesus looked at him and said, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're born again, you can't receive the kingdom of heaven. And enter it. Today, simply by trusting Jesus, plus nothing. So just receiving that free gift, today you can be born again. It will cause you to turn away. From things you've been doing that you shouldn't. Because Christ will come to live inside you. And give you power to live a life you never imagined you could have. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You're and you say. Pastor I believe in God and I believe in Jesus. But I've never prayed to be born again. If, if it, that, that's all I got to do is just receive this gift. That's what I want. That's what I want. It's all I've ever wanted. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to count to three, and at the end of three, if that's you, I want you to lift your hand high and you're just saying, Pastor, pray for me. I want to receive that free gift today. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. I've told you the incredible sacrifice, what kind of Messiah He is. And now you can receive that free gift, it's yours. And if today you want to receive it for the first time in your life, when I say three, I want you to lift your hand. Three, lift your hand high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Anywhere else? 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. You can put your hands down. Last 10 seconds, Pastor. I didn't raise my hand with these 21, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. If that's you. You didn't raise your hand, raise it and wave it at me. I'm asking this last time for you. Join these 21. Come on, wave it at me. Wave it at me. Yes, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. The church, we're gonna pray with you. Those of you who raise your hand, we're all gonna join you in this prayer as we pray together for you to be born again. Let's pray out loud together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe on the cross, you took my guilt my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.